Uh, so we're going to handle chapter 1 of James, uh, verse 19, 20, and 21, which says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So like, this actually shouldn't even be one week. Like there's like a lot we can do with this, uh, but we'll, we'll try to do our best here. And it's easy for us to, to overgeneralize certain things in the Bible, especially things I think in the book of James, like faith without works is dead. Like we throw that out all the time uh, to people when they, we think they need to hear it. Or um, uh, be doers of the word, not hearers only. We'll take that and we'll throw that out, which is actually in the following verse uh, from where we stopped. Okay, that's actually what James is getting into. But, but if we actually uh, look at this section right here, uh, we start to realize that James clearly has something specific in mind for his listeners here, okay? For the church that he's writing to. Um, these guys seem to have a tongue problem. They seem to have a mouth problem. And it's not just seen here in what we read by being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He goes back to it in 26, Verse 26, where he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives himself. And then when we get to chapter three, he's going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the tongue. And all of that information collectively together tells us that this is something that the church struggled with that he's writing to. That a problem with their mouths. I don't know how many of you have a problem with your mouth. I have a problem with my mouth. How many of you have a problem? And it doesn't mean like I'm always like cussing or I'm always like telling dirty jokes or anything. It, it just means that um, I feel like I always have something to say. You know what I mean? And so I got to make sure I say it. Um, doesn't matter uh, what it sounds like or, or, or how it comes off or, who, or, or what heart is behind it. Like if I have something to say, there's this thing in me that says like, I got to say it. And um, it just gets me in trouble a lot. Um, and so like I have, uh, definitely have, um, a mouth problem. Um, they seem to, these guys here from what we see James saying, have an issue with just wanting to be right as well with, with knowledge even. And we'll see that more when we get to the bottom of this passage where he talks about what religion actually is and what it isn't, uh, rather than putting to practice the knowledge that they have. They seem to be okay at hearing, but less than impressive at doing. And so they're going to get some strong words here from, from James. And, and James isn't going to bring them strong words to kill them. All right? He's going to bring them strong words to recover them. To, to bring them into blessing. To bring them into alignment with God. And we know this to be true because of how James leads this section off, right? Look at the, the opening words in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brethren. Now that right there tells us a lot about 
James' heart and his intention behind everything that he's about to say to these guys right now. Um, what does this say about how James considers his hearers? It, it says that he considers them as insiders, as family, beloved brethren, as believers, as, as one of him. He's one of them and they're one of him, right? He considers them loved by him and loved by God. He is not speaking to them as people that are not saved because there's stuff that they're not doing right. He's speaking to them as people who are saved and therefore able to do things better. There's a difference. I want to make sure that we remember as we go through the book of James that the gospel is assumed first. It's assumed. The gospel is there. James is not speaking a new gospel, and I know that we're going to get to this and unpack this in greater detail when we uh, get to the following chapter, uh, because we're going to talk about faith without works is dead, which many people look at and say, oh, he's going completely against what Paul taught, right, which is that uh, uh, justification uh, by faith in Christ um, plus no works is what saves us, and James seems to be saying the opposite. James is not saying the opposite, okay, and we're going to figure that out when we get there. But the gospel is absolutely assumed, and we must, we must remember that as we go through these passages, or else we'll just get a, a bunch of really good things, another list of things to do when we go home. Like, we all need that. You know what I mean? No, what James is saying is because you guys are saved, you can walk in newness of life. You don't have to be what you were. Like, some of you just need to, to hear that this morning. We don't need to be a prisoner of who we've been and what we've done the rest of our lives. We don't need to carry it because Jesus took those rocks out of our bag and he set us free. He opened the prison door and he said, come out of there, just like he did to Lazarus in the tomb. Come out of what you were and who you were and what you've done and be clean. And this is the context here. In fact, James doesn't really even hide this. Chad taught this um, a week ago. We found it, uh, if you back up to verse 18, just previously, actually, let's just read 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of change. Of his own will, here's the gospel, he brought us forth. Of his own will, he brought us forth. Where are you in that equation? Nowhere to be found, right? You did the sinning, he did the saving. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Not by the works of truth. Those will follow. Those will be able to be walked in following the reception of the word of truth, the birth that comes from the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's the gospel right there. James understands the gospel, okay? So he's not saying go and be better people and do better and try harder and then maybe you'll be a Christian. He's saying because you're a Christian, you can walk like this instead of like that. We all good? We all on the same page? We all understand what's going on here? This is not a book for do-goodism, Okay? This is still all about the glory of God, and because it's about the glory of God, we are able to now reflect the glory of God and bring it out in our lives, right? 
Had to get that, have to qualify that every week. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let's start with quick to hear, right? How is this done? How is someone able to be quick to hear? Well, quick basically means eager to hear, willing to hear, ready to hear. And this one too is not a specialty for a lot of us. A lot of us are not very good listeners, but we must believe that to hear is one of the greatest things that we can have as Christians. The eagerness, the willingness, the readiness to listen. Um, First with God and then with others. It's a relational blessing. When you're a good listener in a relationship, it equates to blessing for that relationship. One of the first things I learned when I was uh, a new believer, I was getting off drugs, getting off alcohol, and there was no way I was going to go back to the church uh, because the church already, um, like, lost me because of the way they handled me, or or maybe I should say didn't. (laughs) And so I ended up, God ended up taking me to the 12 steps, right? Uh, I ended up going into the rooms of NA and AA, um, and um, that's how God got back into my life. That's how, that's how I got reintroduced to Jesus and then reintroduced to the church. <laughs> so, but one of the first things I remember when I started going to those rooms as uh, a new Christian and someone trying to do life sober is this phrase that they would say over and over and over again. And they were saying it to me because I was a newcomer and they were saying it to other newcomers, which was take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. Have you ever heard that before? Take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. And it, and it implies that, um, that, that drug addicts, and I would just say human beings in, in general, uh, aren't really good listeners. We always have things to say. We don't have a lot to learn, okay? Um, but that's what they used to say. And they used to say it to us because we were on this thing that they used to call a pink cloud. You ever heard of the pink cloud? I think that Christianity uh, and the church has the pink cloud too. I've seen people that have come to Jesus, they've come out of the waters of baptism, and they're just like, let's, let's do this thing, like let's turn the world upside down for Jesus, right? And they're out there and they have this energy and they have this bigger, and, uh, and they're talking and they're talking and they're talking, but a lot of what they're saying um, isn't good, right? They have a lot to say, but they haven't learned a lot yet. And, and that's basically what, what, what this idea is, is take, take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. You, young man, need to learn how to learn right now. You need to be a student. We need to be a student. Uh, J. Vernon McGee points out, God gave us two ears and one mouth. We have every reason to think there's a definite reason for that. Two ears, one mouth. Um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. We as Christians should be the best listeners in this world. The best. Both inside the church as well as outside the church. We should be the best students in this world. And one of the greatest marks of a student is the readiness and the willingness to hear and observe and to learn rather than talk, teach, and demand attention. The truth is, if I think that I possess a lot of stuff worth hearing, 
then I usually think that other people don't. And I will not value hearing, I will only value speaking. One of the reasons I love the plurality that we have of the, at the door of pastors is because I still remain a student. I am not the guy that's up here and the rest of you are down here. I am not the guy that this whole thing stands or falls with. It's not about my personality. I'm simply one of the guys that gets to walk in my gift. I'm one of the guys that gets to preach. But you know what I get to do when I don't? I get to be a student. I get to sit where you're sitting, and I get to sit under preaching, and I get to take the cotton out of, out of my ears and stick it in my mouth, and I get to hear and be fed the word of God. Isn't that rad? And so does Chad, and so does Brent. We get to be students, and we need to be students. Our growth, our maturity, our leadership depends on it. Our testimony depends on it. And so does yours. Right? To become good listeners is one of the greatest godly characteristics that we can possess. James knows this, and he's reminding us to be quick to hear, and then slow to speak. Now, th this, one's, this one's my kryptonite. I, I've already mentioned this. Um, I'm so bad at this. I have, I, I have this thing in me, like I said, that, that, that says, when I have something to say, I, I need to say it at that time. And, and, and people have to hear it. It needs to be heard right now. And you know what? That's a lie. When I have something to say, it doesn't need to be heard right then. It gets me in so much trouble, especially in my marriage, in my close relationships. You know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before. This, this happened just a few weeks ago on the way down here to preach. And I'm not, like, don't judge me too harshly, but, like, when, it's, when I go to preach, I'm one of those guys, you, like, you're better off staying away from. Like, I, I just get, I get on edge, I get... Um, just agitated, irritated, like um, I'm just, I'm a mess inside. It's just one of those, those struggles that I go through, you know, to force myself to do something I, I really don't want to, I would rather not do, you know. And uh, my wife used to have to tell my kids, you know, don't go around dad, he's preaching this week, which sucks. Like that's just a horrible thing for your kids to hear, right? And I'm coming down a couple weeks ago to preach in the car with my wonderful wife, and I'm on edge, you know, like I always am. And, and, and she was maybe having a little off morning too. And she said something that just hit me wrong. And I fired back. And I knew what I was firing back before it ever left my mouth, that it was just awful. And it was awful. And there was a moment of silence. And then she looks over and she says, and you're going to preach the gospel right now. And I'm thinking to myself, that this is ridiculous. One of the worst, like, ugliest things that could come out of my mouth just came out of my mouth. And in about a half hour, I'm going to be attempting to bring the most beautiful thing out of that same mouth. And I thought, how horrible. And then my second thought was, 
this is why we need the gospel. This is exactly why the gospel exists. And I was comforted by that. Do I feel like a hypocrite? Yeah, yeah, I felt like a hypocrite. But, but I'm, I'm okay at that point, once I realize what's going on, to cry out to God and say, I'm a hypocrite. Save me from my hypocrisy. You're my only hope. And then that, that same mouth that brought forth that death, right, that, that raw sewage, somehow, by the grace of God, was also able to bring forth the greatest words ever spoken and ever heard, which is the gospel of Jesus. But we gotta be careful with our mouths. My initial question to myself is not, should I say this? It should be, but it's not, should I say this? Uh, is it edifying? Is it going to build up the hearer? Is it life-giving? Does it speak love? Right? Everything about what comes out of my mouth, usually it, it's all impulse, it's all self-gratifying. It's all self-promoting and, and the, I guess the, the only saving grace of it is that I hate it. I don't like it. I hate it. Because I know it's contrary to the one that loves me and gave himself for me. The art of learning to tame the tongue which is going to be spoken of, like I said, in greater detail in chapter three, is one of the greatest marks of godliness that we can ever attain to in this life, and it's one of the hardest. So how do we do it? We do it in ways like this. I need to like staple this to my head or something. Second Corinthians 10.5, Paul tells us to take every thought captive. Four words, extremely simple, extremely basic, and what a solution. Take every thought captive. What does that mean? It means that we can learn to take our thoughts prisoner before they take us prisoner. It means that we can learn to make our thoughts subject to us rather than us be subject to our thoughts, right? Because so many of our thoughts are off. You guys realize that, right? That's, the first, that's step number one. Our thoughts are tainted. They're not all true. They're not all right. They're not all accurate. And therefore, they don't all need to be spoken or vocalized. <laughs> that's, that's step number one. And so what we need to do is learn to capture them before they go from here to here and consider if they should be said or not. We learn to filter our thought before we vocalize it. We start vetting our thoughts is what Paul is saying. Vet your thoughts, okay? Again, if our primary concern is to be heard, we will fail to learn. We will fail to be students and nobody wants that person around. Have you ever been around the know-it-all? Whenever that person's in the room, they're the only one who has a chance to speak. They're the only one who gets to talk. They're the only one who demands attention constantly, right? Nobody likes that person. 
It's funny, there's a story told about Socrates. You guys remember, you guys know who Socrates is? The philosopher? He was not just a philosopher, he was also a school teacher. And one day, a young student came to him, and the young man came in and was introduced to him, and before Socrates could say a word, the young man starts talking. And he talked for about 10 minutes. And finally, when the young man was finished, Socrates said, I'll take you as a student, but I'm going to charge you twice as much. And the young man said, why are you going to charge me double? And Socrates' response was, because I'm going to first have to teach you how to hold your tongue and then how to use it. The gospel, by nature, is a lesson in humility. In humility, not authority. When we truly encounter the living God, it shuts us up. This is why you and I need to park on the gospel daily. Not yearly. Not just at Christmas or not just at Easter when we get that good resurrection sermon. We need the gospel as believers every single day because the gospel keeps us down. The gospel shuts our mouth when no one else and nothing else can shut it. I don't know about you, but the gospel took me when I had an encounter with God and he collided with me, took me to the lowest place that I had ever been. And I mean that in a good way. And it's because the gospel is the highest thing I have ever encountered. And that's why I need to be there every day with the gospel is because it keeps me low. It is when, it is then when we're low that we can actually be content in having our mouths stopped, in having our mouths shut. This is why our daily Diet as Christians must be continual medica- meditation on the person and work of Christ. If it is not, then we will turn our thoughts and our tongue loose in our pride and our arrogance and our opinions. There is no greater way to control our mouths and be slow to speak than to stay near to the gospel and to sift our thoughts through the filter of Christ's righteousness. Amen? He then says, slow to anger, be slow to anger. But I want to take verse 20 with this as well because you have to. Um, Because it tells us why. Verse 20 tells us why we should be slow to anger. Which is because, according to verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And brothers and sisters, this is the goal of the child of God promoting and making known the glory of God in the righteousness of God. James is saying when you're angry or walking in anger, you're coloring outside the lines. This is why I continually harp on the social media stuff with Christians because that's where it's most on display right now. We're all very right and we're very angry from behind our keyboards for Jesus right now. We're keyboard crusaders for Jesus, except for the part where it looks and sounds like Jesus. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing that stinks about it. 
There's a righteous anger, which is from God, and there is an anger, which is from man, and there is a difference between the two. James is telling us this. The problem is that for the Christian, we don't often discern or live out the difference. We just throw it all together. I'm right, and I'm angry, so this must be right anger. There are things for the Christian that are far more important than being right. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear that wrong. It's good to be right, but only if it's done right. The anger of man, even a Christian man, is never right, even if it's right, if it isn't done right. Consider with me real quick. Actually, don't go there. Just listen to this. You guys all know this passage. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. Just a noisemaker. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, so this person's right. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. That's heavy stuff. In other words, we can be completely right in what we're saying, doing, and promoting, and completely wrong in how we're doing it. That's what Paul's saying there. Anytime we've crossed the line into worldly anger, we'll know it because love will be absent. It'll be absent. Love in our hearts, love in our speech, love in our action, love in our response. It'll be gone. The only love that will exist in that moment is the one for ourselves, which is what I'm best at. I'm so good at loving myself. If making known that we're right about something is the ultimate goal of the Christian, anger will more times than not be the byproduct because most people do not want to hear what we have to say, no matter how right it is. And it will be frustrating if that's the goal, right? The only one who is able to put up with us at that point is Jesus himself. Praise God that he puts up with our ugliness, right? I mean, that's what I have to constantly come back to as I'm looking at this list, right? All week long, I'm meditating on this stuff, and, and, it's, and, and I'm just filling myself full of bullets because, because I, I'm not real good at what's being taught, but I want to be. And it's in those moments when I sit back and go, wow, what a failure, Lord. Like, what a bad testimony. I've been on so many levels in so many ways at so many times for you. And then again, I have this voice that says, yeah, but like, I put up with you. Like, like I can deal with you. My, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, you know? You guys know who Jonathan Edwards was? Um, he's one of the greatest godliest theologians, I think, that we've probably ever seen. He's super hard to read, like super hard to read. Um, but if you can try to decode it, like it's pretty good. Um, he was also the third president of Princeton 
back when it was actually a, a Christian institution. He was one of America's greatest thinkers and preachers, but he had a daughter who had an uncontrollable, uncontrollable temper, his daughter. And one day a nice young man at school who had fallen in love with her came to Jonathan Edwards and asked her for her hand in marriage. Asked him for her hand in marriage. I don't think we do things that way anymore. Jonathan Edwards said, you can't have her. And the young man said, but I love her. And Edwards said, you can't have her. And he said, but she loves me. And again, Edwards said, you can't have her. And he says, why can't I have her? And he said, because she's not worthy of you. And Edwards said, yes, she is a Christian, but the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else can ever live. That's good. It's good that God in his grace abides with us and sees to it that we come along, some of us slower than others, into that good and perfect image of his son. See, the beautiful thing about all this, which we must remember, is that God is the faithful one in life because he lived a sinless one in death because he took all the sins upon him and then in everlasting life because he conquered death and walked out of the tomb on our behalf. God is the faithful one with our salvation and the Bible tells us he's also the faithful one to bring it to completion. Even as much as we stumble and fall and skin our knee and get dirty, right? Finally, because the anger of man is different than the anger of God, we are told to, verse 21, put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God. James says, put away all filthiness, which is a picture of stripping off dirty clothes or, or washing off dirty skin, right? In other words, you and I need to strip down and take showers spiritually all the time. And how do we do that? By confessing sin and by receiving with meekness the implanted word which washes us clean. That's how you take a spiritual shower. The word of God, the washing of the word. In fact, this is something that appears over and over again in scripture. We don't have time to, uh, to go there, but when I started looking at it, like uh, it, it's everywhere. Romans 12, 12, 1 Peter 1, 23, uh, Ephesians 5, 26, John 17, 17, 2 Timothy 3, 16, Psalm 119, 105, Psalm 119, 11, Hebrews 4, 12, Romans 10, 17, on and on and on about the word of God washing us, cleansing us, transforming us into the image of Christ. That is how we take a shower, right? We stay in the word. We live in the word constantly. And, and it doesn't mean that we check a box, right? This is what we do. This, this is the problem. We go, is everything's a formula. I don't know about for you, but for me, everything's a formula. 
So if I do these things, check, 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 like I'm good, like I'm, I'm getting everything I'm supposed to get. And that's not true. In fact, that's the whole context of this part of James. As he goes on right here, he's going to tell them not to be hearers only, but to be doers. What James is saying there is the word is what showers you, but it's only if you take what you saw when you came and looked in that mirror, and then you give it legs. You actually walk in it. It's, so, so you don't check a box and say, well, that was cool, and then have no idea an hour later what you just read. You're taking what you just read, you're working it into your brain, you're meditating on it, you're camping on it, and then you're taking it out intentionally and putting it to work in your life. That's all James is telling them here. Don't, don't be hearers. Like, take these things, which are life, which are blessing, and walk in them. And then you'll receive blessing. Does that make sense? We can't get to that this week, though. We'll have to wait and, and get to that next week. Charles Spurgeon said, backsliding begins with a dusty Bible. That's true in my life. That's true in my life. Our daily diet as Christians must be the Word of God. This is the thing that is constant, and this is the thing that is the only thing that is able and capable of showing what God wants from us and showing us how to do it. This is truly a manual for you and I to walk in full blessing and full happiness and full contentment and full fulfillment with the mighty God of the universe. He's given us everything we need. Some people say, um, I, I want God uh, to talk to me. You know what I mean? And it's like, he has. And some people are like, no, I want, I want God to talk to me out loud. And it's like, then read your Bible out loud. You know what I mean? Like, go read it out loud. Like, he's talked to you. Don't, don't wait for something else. You don't need something else. You don't need some other revelation. We have the full revelation to bring the man, the sinful man, to completeness. God, and, it, and it's right here, right? But James next week is going to encourage us to actually use it, to give it legs in our life. So, come back then. Lord, thank you so much that um, even when uh, we don't deserve for anybody to endure us, uh, to endure with us, that you always do. That you never leave our side uh, that your grace is sufficient for our shortcomings and our blemishes and our weaknesses, God, and, and um, we don't deserve such um, a great commitment. And yet you're pleased because of your son to commit to us. And so we just thank you. We just thank you that even in our ugliest, darkest moments, um, you love us just as much as ever because you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.